I'm Jason Ariola, and this is Rock Out with Your Card Out. here we are we're finally rounding out the final part of the developer quintet's gaia trilogy with terra enigma i mentioned on the last episode i would be splitting up this soundtrack so hopefully you heard that or you can see part one of the episode title this is a pretty beefy soundtrack with way too many standouts for me to just gloss them over so i thought it best to give the soundtrack the time it deserves and split it up into two episodes so we can make sure we give each track its due so hopefully by the end of this week, I'll have the second part of this at least recorded as I continue my seemingly eternal struggle to catch back up with the schedule. The main reason I want to catch up with the schedule is because there is something in February I want to sort of record specifically for. It's not Valentine's Day, and no, John Lucero, it is not your birthday either. Uh, John Lucero, one of my co-hosts on Multimedia Failure, another podcast I do. But I shouldn't bore you with that because you probably are aware of it because I seem to talk it up on every episode. So anyway, let's talk about Terra Dingma a little, shall we, before we actually talk about the soundtrack. First up, Terra Enigma was a very late Super Nintendo release, coming out in Japan October 20th, 1995, which was 10 months after the PlayStation launched over there. It would hit PAL territories over a year after that on December 19th, 1996. Is it any wonder this game sort of sat in obscurity until emulation got to be a little bit easier for your average dummy like me to do? I had never heard of this thing, and I had played both Illusion of Gaia and Soul Blazer back in the day, and it wasn't until probably the early 2000s that I had heard about this thing, and it wasn't until around the mid-2000s that I had picked up a copy of it. I believe the Australian copy is playable in the on a uh, Super... A, mm, modified Super Nintendo, uh, American Super Nintendo. It did get translated into English, but it never made it into the North America region. So, I, yeah. Um, I've got it sitting on an emulator, little emulator machine that I kind of want to hit it with, because now that I've listened to the soundtrack a lot, I'm really kind of jonesing to play this thing. But that's kind of neither here nor there. So, so the composers on Terra Dingma were Miyoko Takako and Masanori Hikichi, who, as we'll learn in a minute here, they've worked together prior to this as part of Falcom Sound Team JDK. Uh, yeah, mm, gee, surprise, I like this. <laughs> anyway, and a couple of Sega titles. Takako, prior to Terra Enigma, worked on Ease 4, Mask of the Sun, Landgrisser, and Sonic the Hedgehog 3. From there, she'd go on to work on the PS1 title, The Grand Stream Saga, a title that Quintet also made and could kind of be considered part of the Gaia Saga if you stretch the definition of part of to its literal breaking point. Uh, she'd also go on to work on even less notable titles uh, like Alchemist Marie and Ellie Futari no Atelier, or Atelier, yeah, I always say that wrong, Atelier, uh, for the Wonderswan, Jet Ion GP for the PS2. Yeah, those two titles I never heard of, so. But I mean, you know, forgive me for not hearing of a Wonderswan title. And Jet Ion GP, you'd think after my years of GameStop, I probably would have seen that at least dumped through once or twice, but I don't believe I ever saw it. So anyway, uh, she would bounce back and work on multiple entries of the Atelier series. And see, I said it right there that time. <laughs> and a fan game of I Want to Be the Man called I Want to Be the Boshi. So it's not all bad for her in the end. Hikichi has a more varied catalog to his name, having been either the the or one of the composers for Glaylancer, Evo, Search for Eden, Ease 4, Mask of the Sun, Langrisser, Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine, just a reskinning of Puyo Puyo, and Sonic the Hedgehog 3. After Terra Enigma, he'd work with Takako one more time on the Grand Stream Saga. From there, he would compose for Mystic Heroes and go on to the more generic sound credits title for Onslaught, a first-person shooter for WiiWare. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I don't believe I've ever heard of that one either. And I Want to Be the Boshi, 
Inazuma 11 Strikers and the Danganronpa series. So that's enough with the history lesson, so let's get on to the music. First up is the main theme from Terranigma, Light and Darkness. Terranigma's main theme is going to come into play a few times throughout the soundtrack for good reason. It's got a great buildup and the ability to transition from powerful and something that inspires a bit of hope to something more contemplative and quiet is great. It's a great theme song and the transition from the main hook of it to the more peaceful track blends together really well. My only complaint with this track is that the peaceful part goes on for just a little bit too long. It fits in well with the opening sequence of the game, but by itself it feels like it drags on for a bit longer than it needs to. Context. Oh well. Anyway, um, I mentioned how much I appreciate a good town theme, and Hometown, the next track we're going to be listening to, is one I really appreciate. Saying it's peaceful is probably underselling it. 
It's just so mellow and can really tug on the heartstrings. Listen in for what I think is a pan flute taking the lead around 52 seconds into the track. The little bit of percussion thrown in there really ended up selling this track to me. So why don't we just go ahead and listen to Hometown. Hometown is fairly simple, with only a few instruments really being used at any time, but they sort of flow in and out throughout the track. They're really well placed, keeping things interesting, and I mentioned that pan flute section before we listened to the track. That part is where things really got me on board with this one. It's a peaceful little moment that really takes you there. And of course, it wouldn't be much of a video game if something didn't break up this idyllic situation. Something like an unforeseen occurrence, which is the title of the next track. Look, I'm not thrilled I did that either, but here we are. This is the first time we'll hear the main theme come back in, and it's a bit of a bummer this go-around. Like I mentioned earlier, it really shows off just how flexible light and darkness is as a theme song. So let's go ahead and listen to, again, I'm sorry for the terrible, terrible pun slash transition there, but uh, let's listen to Unforeseen Occurrence. <laughs>
yeah, complete bummer. You need exactly zero context for this one to know something awful's happened. The use of strings underneath really helps with the tragic feeling, and it seems simple enough, but what's there is well implemented and does a heck of a job of getting the old heartstrings tugged on. So, no transition this go-around, smooth or otherwise, for this one, so we'll just pretend I had one to move on. The tone of the next track, which is called Dark Side Field, is fairly intense and ominous, so let's go ahead and listen to that one. Darkside Field's got a good use of strings throughout it, with some other instruments complementing them. I love how almost chunky the lead violin sounds at times in here. It plays really well off the string section that's in the background. Switching between the horns as the lead instrument and the violin keeps things from getting too repetitive, but that underlying string section is what stole the show for me the more I listen to this track. And throwing in that bell tone at the beginning with the little scale of notes that pan back and forth are what I can really only describe as the specialty players shoring up an already great team. I love this track, even if it is, like I said, uh, a little ominous, a little darker than what we've listened to so far, and maybe tonally doesn't even really fit in with the rest of the soundtrack at times. But again, I think it's a great composition. I really enjoy listening to this one. So anyway, uh, let's move on to the next track, which is called L. We're still in a bit of that bummer vibe through this one. From the cursory glance, I gave the character descriptions in the game. L is sort of arc. Uh, who is the main character. I'm fairly certain I haven't mentioned that so far, but whatever, this is a video game music podcast. Uh, Ark's friend and a love interest of sorts. A little bit of a twinge of sadness is to be expected, I suppose, here. If not outright sadness, at least a feeling of melancholy. But before we go assign labels to it, why don't we listen to it first? So here's L. <laughs> Thank you. 
see what I mean? Uh, that track is not quite tragic, but it's certainly not an uplifting theme. It's not quite at the level of Unforeseen Occurrence, even though that's her theme's leitmotif. Thank you, Word of the Day calendar. There's a little more hopefulness thrown into Elle's theme than there is in Unforeseen Occurrence, but it sticks fairly faithful to it otherwise. Uh, speaking of a little more hopefulness, how about our next track, Lightside Field? While you're listening to it, um, pay attention to it. It's a little bit more positive than the Dark Side Field track, which should be a fairly obvious thing given the titles. I mean, you know, of course, Light is going to be a little bit more peppy, I think, than something dark. But hey, you know, that's just me pointing out obvious things. So why don't we go ahead and just uh, me shut up and we'll listen to Light Side Field instead. Lightside Field has some uplifting string sections, and that scaling horn builds things up mood-wise in a way I think we needed after listening to the last few tracks. Uh, there's a great sense of exploration to it. Maybe more that whatever tragic event occurred earlier, you found a way to make it better, and this is what plays to give you a little bit more oomph you might need to get you out the door. This is something that makes me want to get out there and fix things, no matter how tough that journey is going to end up being. Or maybe I'm just too much of a sucker for evocative music. And... Speaking of that, uh, how about our next track, Evergreen? It's not quite as evocative as Lightside Field is. There's definitely an uplifting vibe to it, but let's give it a listen first, and we can figure out what it is about this one that does it for me once we do that. So this is Evergreen.
So I suppose the lead instrument in Evergreen is supposed to be a flute of some sort. I'm not great at figuring out more of the handful of instrument sounds from the Super Nintendo sampled sounds. So if you know what it is, um, you can let me know so I don't sound like a complete moron going forward. Whatever it is, I really like it for the most part, save for a few parts here and there that kind of teeter on being a little too high-pitched and loud. It only happens a few times, but it doesn't really distract from the track as a whole for me. There's a whole lot of wistfulness in this one, another common theme in a few of the tracks we've covered so far, but it also gives off a bit of that idyllic vibe that Hometown did as well. Even the light percussion in here is solid, adding just a little bit more of a positive beat to the track to keep it from sort of coagulating with the other more somber sounding tracks we've listened to so far. So why don't we just keep the positive vibes going here with Topside of Sink Mountain, another track that's a nice reprieve from what seems like a whole lot of sad stuff so far, and I say that as someone who likes sad music. It starts off a little somber sounding, but wait for the tone shift 18 seconds in and you'll see what I mean. So again, this is Topside of Sink Mountain. I sort of miss about the Illusion of Gaia soundtrack? Bass drum. Well, it's back, baby! <laughs> uh, Topside of Saint Mountain has a great soaring feel to it. Meanwhile, the bass line sound and those bass drums really keep a good rhythm to it. The string section swells at just the right moments, and the whole track just kind of smacks of exploration. This is definitely a standout in a soundtrack that's got a lot going for it. Uh, and speaking of tracks that soar, our next one really hammers that feeling down, so let's give a listen to Flying to the Sky. Thank you. 
A lot of the tracks that we've listened to so far have been lacking a little in percussion, but while not overpowering the percussion in Flying to the Sky, it kind of keeps things moving along at a nice clip and sets a really positive vibe. That higher pitched twinkling sound throughout it is what really gives off more of a literal soaring feeling to it, but the strings swelling at the right moments along with the lead instrument switching really sell the hell out of that thing. This is another I just love the hell out of. Those big soaring tracks are always something I'm a fan of, and adding in the nostalgia I have for the Super NES's sound just makes this one even more of a favorite. When I first got around to listening to this track, I was a little concerned with the, you know, the first 18 seconds. I was like, oh god, another downer track. I I don't know if I have it in me to talk about another bummer track. Oh, never mind, here it is. Okay, so yeah, as soon as that kind of 18 second mark hit and the tonal shift happened, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, we're, we're throwing in this one. I, I really couldn't see how Flying to the Sky was going to be a bummer track, and I'm glad it didn't uh, kind of lead me down that road, even though, yeah, it did the first 18 seconds. So, anyway, uh, why don't we go ahead and let's move on to something a little less soaring sounding and something with a great beat and some solid string sections and that is okay here's the thing i have seen this written down as zoo and z-u-e so i'm assuming it's zoo so let's just go with zoo and not question it from there all right sound good cool all right thanks for playing along i appreciate that so here's zoo So again, that was Zoo, and that's Z-U-E, not Z-O-O. So I, yeah. Anyway, well, again, just yeah, you you were you agreed to play along, huh? Why am I why am I bringing this back around? Dummy, dummy, dummy. Anyway, I think this one contrasts really nicely with the last two tracks we've listened to. The heavier beat and percussion give it more of a tribal sound, grounding it a little bit more. The string section here is just solid from start to finish. There's a catchy little electronic beeping in the background you might have a harder time catching, save for the moments when the strings catch out. It, it's a bit of a strange choice, but I feel like it works, despite its more electronic sound contrasting with the more natural instrumentation in the rest of the track. But that natural sound, man, that percussion in this thing is the best. I love this sort of sound, even if you tend to hear this sort of like thing in structurally like prehistoric human scenes in video games, it works so well here. And I've got zero context for this track. So for all I know, you could literally be in the middle of like, you know, a caveman dancing this when this is playing. I, I have no clue. So but you know, the zero context thing is something I intend to keep as this soundtrack has me itching to play this game finally. Um, sadly, and this is going to be an odd thing to say, and probably the only thing anyone's ever said, or the only time anyone's ever said this, my Ouya 
kind of bit the dust and I'm sort of up the creek without my little emulator box that took up nearly zero room on my TV stand. Uh, I've been trying to find an alternate that, and that's been a little tough, but Teradigma has me gotten looking up into setting up my GPD uh, DX as an emulator that works like the Switch, kind of being able to flip it between the TV and taking it with me easily enough in handheld mode. If you're unfamiliar, which wouldn't surprise me terribly, uh, the GPD DX is a little, it looks like a DS from the outside, or a 3DS from the outside. You flip it up, and it's an Android-based tablet uh, system, sort of, with only one screen, but it can handle emulation, the model I have anyway, can handle emulation up to the PSP. So, PlayStation, uh, I'm not even going to try Saturn. I'm betting Saturn's not going to work, but, you know, anything prior to that generation hasn't been an issue for me that I've ran, so, yeah. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I want to get that thing set up on the TV because it also will work with controllers. You can sync controllers to it, so I think that'll be a nice little uh, nice little situation there for me to dive back into retro gaming since my poor little Ouya, uh, rest in peace little buddy, uh, just gave up on life and called it quits. So anyway, uh, enough of that. Let's go ahead and let's move on to fight against powerful enemies. So first up, let me apologize for the little smack sound you heard. Um, I was trying to find a way to cleanly retake that portion of what I just said, but every time I tried, it came up sounding very unnatural. So we're just going to go ahead and leave that, okay? That was just me kind of hitting my hand on my desk as I went to reach a space bar and deposit recording, and yeah, that worked out really well for me. Anyway, that was Fight Against Powerful Enemies, and a good boss fight theme can kind of make or break a game for me. This one, I love how it switches from the more frantic scales to something more slow and still manages to keep almost the same level of intensity during those sections. Some great heavy percussion and some really good string sections just keep driving along throughout the whole thing. A thing to really listen for is the underlying bass line throughout. It's barely noticeable throughout most of the track, but once I caught it, it really made this thing feel like the secret all-star of the track. It held everything together while the other instruments kept going for the more in-your-face sounds. It's kind of like the utility player that's good at everything, but doesn't really excel in any one thing. God, is that the second sports analogy I've made this episode? I don't know what the hell's going on in my head that I'm leaning on that idea. 
And since I seem to be stuck on that metaphor for some reason, why don't we just go ahead and wrap this episode up and I'll come back with zero sports metaphors, not guaranteed, uh, with the rest of the Terranigma soundtrack on the next episode. So the next one we're going to have, I believe, about 10 tracks on this one. This one was like 11 or 12. I kind of forget off the top of my head and I don't really feel like awkwardly stumbling through and counting uh, while I'm in the middle of recording. So let's just wrap this thing up, shall we? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Jason Ariola. You can follow the show on Twitter at Aroico Podcast. If you have any suggestions, you can either hit us up on Twitter or hit me up on Twitter, or you can go over to Patreon and at, I believe, like $15 tier. I forget. It's up there. Um, you can force me to cover something within reason. If it's something ridiculous, I will probably refund your money and we can go from there or we'll figure out an alternate. That's probably the more business savvy thing. I'm a terrible businessman. Uh, also, if you go to patreon.com slash gamesandjunk, you can get a higher quality audio rate for this show and all the other shows we do with the game club coming back around the corner, which is in like the next month. Uh, yeah, that, that'll, you'll have three podcasts coming into the feed. So that'll be the Games and Junk Game Club, which uh, we've got a couple games lined up already, and I'm just trying to line up a couple of guests and workout scheduling. Uh, the other one is one I mentioned at the top of the show, which is Multimedia Failure, a... Oh boy, hold on, big breath. A chronological exploration of every video game movie ever made, for the most part. And then we rank them against each other arbitrarily. And I do that with my friends John Lucero and Vanessa Cahill. I almost said her her maiden last name. She's been Cahill for so long, I don't know how I almost slip into her maiden name. Anyway, um... The $5 tier will get you a catch-all feed for those podcasts, all of them in higher quality audio rate. Multimedia Failure will also have a bonus section, and sometimes at the beginning, if our preamble I think is worth kind of keeping keeping in there, and also a bonus section at the end. The latest one is Sakura War, or no, actually, um, hmm, you know what, the, by the time this one goes out, it won't be there, but the newest one will be Pokemon, and... Or, yeah, another Pokemon movie, I know. Uh, and that one, John, will kind of catch us up with the last two movies uh, Vanessa and I watched without him and give us kind of how he thought about them. So if you want his thoughts on them, uh, that will be where you will get that opinion exclusively. So kick in a couple of bucks over there, and that'll be a huge, huge help. Also, if you can't manage any of those, even a dollar would be a huge help. Um, you won't really get anything extra outside of the feeling of helping out your boy, who is just hammering away at these podcasts week after week after week for you. And I appreciate you listening, and, uh, you know, if if you appreciate me doing them, maybe maybe just kick in a dollar a month. That would be a huge help because it would be great to be able to continue to justify this to myself and everyone around me that, no, I'm not just doing this and talking into the void. It'd be cool to get a little bit of a show. So also the um, $5 tier, uh, the last thing I forgot to mention, of course, is the shout out that gets you. And John and Vanessa, my co-hosts, uh, chip in enough to help keep the uh, lights on, of course. And also Gustav and Alex Messenger help kick in $5 a month. And I really appreciate you guys sticking with us, especially right now while Rocket with your card out is sort of going through a little bit of a restructuring of sorts and i'm kind of scrambling to keep the schedule going while i'm also in the middle of the holiday season which and my uh you know daytime grind which happens overnight um is a hellish time i work retail and this time of year is not very fun if you happen to work retail as i'm sure most of you know i specifically i work in grocery and if you do that in thanksgiving and christmas that is just the time of year where it's kind of like two months worth of why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And I continue to wonder that 10, 20 something years later. Anyway, that's enough of that. So I will talk to you guys hopefully in a few days. I will get the next episode of Rocket With Your Card Out with Terra Enigma up. Um, well, let's say like maybe like five days I'll have this up because I still have to finish the notes up for that and everything like that. And we've got an episode of a Multimedia Failure recording and I've got one to edit. Oh boy, I should stop babbling and get on with that, shouldn't I? But Again, I really appreciate everyone sticking with me. If you have any suggestions for the show, please feel free to reach out to me and let me know. Uh, again, you can reach me at podcast at gamesandjunk.net, or you can tweet at the show at Roico Podcast, or me personally at Jason Ariola. I would love to get some suggestions. I don't guarantee I will get around to them, but, you know, it, who knows? Maybe, maybe the idea will come up and it'll be something I've never heard of, and I, uh, you know, simply love the soundtrack, and I would love to talk about it. So, anyway... That will wrap up the show, and we will talk at you guys next week. Or in a few days. Whatever. I should just end these things more confidently. Dear God Almighty, I'm a terrible host. Great! I knew that groove was in your heart.